0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Diabetes Late Night. Oh,
2: oh, oh. Late. Are you ready?
1: Because I just quieted Mariah Carey. Wow, I'm ready to welcome you to Diabetes Late Night. Thank you for tuning into our special podcast, Diabetes and Aging. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick, and I'm all thumbs on the turntable tonight because I'm very excited to be talking about Fifty Shades of Grey with my musical inspiration, Mariah Carey. I got to see Mariah Carey live last week at the Beacon Theater in New York, and let me tell you that Diva did not disappoint three wonderful gown changes, dripping in diamonds, and yes, she hit all the high notes off of that wonderful CD. Uh she did both albums, uh her Chris albums, and then she also did some of her her biggest hits, which included Hero, We Belong Together, and a gospel rousing version of Emotions. So I am a Mariah Farring. I'm just going to come out right now and tell you I am a big Mariah Carey fan. And uh you know, our diva inspiration turned 45 this year. Do you dread getting older? If you do, you're not alone. Women around the world seem to worry about aging more than men do, according to a survey from the 210 Bupa Health Plus. The number one fear of aging for women is losing attractiveness and becoming invisible. And guess what? Apparently celebrity divas like Mariah Carey aren't immune to this either because recently Sony music boss L.A. Reid said he thinks Mariah Carey, who, like I said, is 45, is way too old to make another hit record. He believes it's not realistic for her to have another chart-topping single, despite the fact that she holds a record for the most U.S. number one singles for any solo artist. Well... I think Mariah would probably agree with me (laughs) that you can't control what other people think, but you can do a lot to make the most of your golden years. You could get enough sleep, develop a diabetes self-care routine, create your own health care entourage, exercise, eat right, laugh, and stay engaged in the world. I truly believe you're as young as you feel, and joining me tonight to sing praises to that idea are Dr. Lori Shemick, Dr. Andrea Chisholm, author and AADE Educator of the Year 2009 Janice Rosler, and author and humorist. Tricia Peretti. I'm so excited she's on the show. And you could be joining us. You could call in on these diva digits, 347-215-8551. That's 347-215-8551. Before we get things started, take a minute to donate to divabetic at org. Your tax-deductible contributions are greatly appreciated. Now, did you hear the big news? That's all over Twitter this week. Mariah Carey's classic holiday, All I Want for Christmas is You, is no longer the most played Christmas song. That's right. That's hard to believe, frankly. Uh, Play Network, which compiles the holiday playlist for hundreds of retailers every year, reported that the Shins cover of Wonderful Christmas Time pushed Mariah out of the top spot this year. Well, cheer up, Mariah, because you're still tops in my book. And here's another great song off of Mariah's first Christmas
2: album, courtesy of Sony Music. I miss you, Christmas time, and I can't get you, no, 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 no. And I miss you most at time. Welcome back to Diabetes
1: Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek, and tonight we're talking about 50 Shades of Gray, Diabetes, and Successfully Aging. What does successfully aging mean? Well, according to experts, it means uh, they define it as good mobility, lung function, and mental health. George Byrne said, you can't help getting older, but you don't have to get old. Well, here to help me talk about the attitude of aging is America's number one weight loss, fat loss expert and author of the new book, How to Fight Fat Flammation, and the author of Fire Up Your Fat Burn, Please welcome to the show Dr. Lori Shemek. Hi, Dr. Lori.
0: Hi, Max. How are you?
1: I'm great. This is my final podcast of the year, and I'm really excited that you could be joining
0: us. I am so honored to be here. It's great to be back. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Now, you heard me mention how women around the world are really, um, you know, when they think about aging, they feel like they're getting invisible and they're unimportant, especially women over 50, it's kind of hard to believe uh, when you think that there are a lot of aging icons like Jane Fonda, Helen Mirren, uh, Grace Jones, uh, Christy Brinkley, who are kind of changing the way we look. But it is pretty common for women to have a negative response to aging. And I know you feel that how we look at aging can affect how we ultimately feel while we're aging.
0: Absolutely. Uh, because I work Uh, with weight loss primarily. I work with a lot of uh, what I call negative body image. And so uh, when we have a negative body image, for example, it really weights us down in all areas. And aging is just, you you can just add aging on top of that. Yes, we women are, are actually, in my opinion, victims of what our culture has deemed Um, or actually honors, which is youth, as opposed to the experiences and the value that uh, older people have put into our culture. in in our society. So what we want to do is we want to change our perception of aging. And that means we begin to look at ourselves as a more youthful individual because it all begins in the mind, okay? We really do need to stop viewing ourselves as we age as an ineffective human being that has no value. We need to really stop that. And that takes focus. And it taught and it takes um it 's really more about creating a habit of thinking, a more positive, healthy way of thinking about yourself, as opposed to um the negative body image, for example, when women you know one of the first rules um i I have them do is to stop putting put downs in front of the mirror okay and and this what this does is it retrains the brain how to think positively about the body, your body. So when you look in the mirror and you see yourself as an older person getting older, you're just focusing on those wrinkles or the sagging this and that, you need to begin to stop the put-downs because you're not going to do that to other people. Why would you do it to yourself? So in effect, this changes the brain chemistry, literally, the neuronal, the synaptic connections, and it begins to develop grooves if you will, much like um, walking on a, a grass that's never been walked on before. You kind of pat, tamp down the grass. Well, if you keep doing that over and over and over again, eventually you're going to create a path, and that's what we want to do here. We want to begin to think differently about getting older.
1: So if someone's looking in the mirror and they're seeing the wrinkles, or a lot of people, I know a lot of women uh, have problems with their neck as they age, and mm-hmm. they really hate the way that neck is looking, like, how? Right. what would you tell them to say? Like, how do they change, you know, from feeling, uh, you know, gray hair, sagging breasts, baby, a post-baby belly, you know, mm-hmm. anything like that? How do they change that without actually going under the knife or trying something like that?
0: Well, the, first of all, you have to start valuing yourself. Okay, that that is number one, because really the truth is that uh, we do, in this culture, value beauty. We value youth, and uh, it, it is a problem. So when we're not feeling, when we compare ourselves to the, the beautiful model on the cover, it becomes a real problem. So you be, value who you are focus on your good points, and then make, if you are overweight, then take action to begin to reduce the weight. If you um, don't want to go under the knife for your neck, for example, then you need to begin to accept the neck, okay, and do what you can uh, without, it's all a personal decision here. So I'm I'm not advocating one thing over another. I will, however, say that it really does begin with Uh, knowing that you are a beautiful, worthwhile human being. And uh, no matter what you look like, you're inherently beautiful. And that's something that we all need to remember. Each one it's of so us.
1: It's so important because, you know, it, that message is everywhere. I was doing some research for the show, and like women in fairy tales, the Wicked Queen and Snow White, the Wicked mm-hmm. Stepmother and Cinderella, the Wicked Fairy Godmother and Sleeping Beauty, were all thoroughly wicked, but most of the time it was because they prized beauty so much, and all those characters had this huge fear of growing old. And it consumed them with, like, an envy of the more youthful women like Sleeping Beauty, Snow White, and Cinderella, you know. And it just means, like, you know, right there we're getting messaging as children growing up about this whole concept.
0: Right. And so what you want to do is... Uh, I call it the distraction technique, okay? What you want to do is you want to begin to think about things in your life outside of yourself, outside of the way you look. So, you know, if you're aging, for example, you want to, as opposed to not having, say, goals in your life, because people who are aging um, and don't have a purpose in life really do flounder, and they really do have a problem with aging successfully, if you can call it that. Um, So what we want to do is we want to set meaningful goals. And I don't like to use the word goals, but something that's meaningful to you that, that fires you up, all right? And you want to make sure that you stay physically active because what you're doing is you're taking action, you're taking control of yourself. And that, and this, by the way, the control factor is very key in terms of healthy aging. Um, Ellen Langer wrote a book called um, – oh, what was the name of the book? I just forgot the name of the book. But um, nonetheless, she wrote a book, and she did a study. And she took two groups of people – two groups of men and put them in the environment that they were that they lived in when they were youthful okay decades younger and they weren't allowed to read talk think about anything but how they were when they got out of the study compared to the control group they actually uh aged younger in one week all their physical markers their blood pressure their their uh, arthritis everything that was Painful to them or negative in terms of aging, actually improved, okay so uh part of the reason was because they had control over what they were doing and what they were thinking and they and you are a product of your environment, by the way, so uh, you want to continue to learn and grow as you age. that's very important, and look forward with anticipation eager anticipation. Enthusiasm. Enthusiasm is your key to success. That's what we want um, when we age. If you look at, if you compare a younger person with an older person, the younger person's Full of enthusiasm about the future, they've they're excited. They want to be there. The older person's like, eh, you know, done there, been there, done that, and they don't have that enthusiasm. It has to be uh, practiced, and again, it too is inha- it too is a habit and a mindset. So you want to really regain that enthusiasm for life, and pay attention to the things that make you happy in life. So uh again we want to look at also follow areas uh populations of people that have been aging very well. And so there's a, another book called the blue zones that looked at five areas in the world that have the longest lived people, okay? They're not only the longest lived but they were the healthiest people overall. And so one is actually here in California, Loma Linda. The others um, are in Costa Rica, Okinawa, one's in Italy, and one's in Greece. And the one thing that they all have in common is they all had a purpose in life, okay? And that purpose is very important. So you've heard the stories about people who retire finally, and then they pass away, okay, shortly thereafter. It's that purpose in life that ignites our cellular energy—it really does. So that's very important to know. And um, you want to also remember that to be just to soothe yourself, to embrace everything about you, warts and all. So no matter how old you are, no matter how much weight you've put on it's very important to embrace who you are and uh, creating habits of thinking. I have done it myself. I have my clients do it. Once you create those habits and you begin to understand, you'll see the difference of uh, where you were and where you're going. And it really is remarkable in terms of success in aging. And I'm not I, I'm not a young person myself. I'm 58 years old, so I know what I'm talking about.
1: And you've you've been writing a lot of books about. It, and your newest book is How to Fight Fat Flammation. Inflammation. Inflammation right. has been this big catchphrase that's all you know used all the time now.
2: Mm-hmm. I know there are a lot of
1: people listening who are older who aren't really comfortable in their body. And the truth is, uh, they still can make some modify some changes in their lifestyle to have the body a, a body that they would prefer. Maybe not Absolutely. the best body in their twenties, but you could still. Um, so, tell us a little bit about fat Absolutely. inflammation.
0: Yes, so you know, particularly I for people that are over forty, for example, they have a very hard time with resistant weight gain, and the key is to re- is to trigger the hormones that promote weight loss. And in my book, How to Fight Fat Flammation, we do this with the right foods and the right lifestyle choices. Okay, so um, you know, if you're eating junk all the time, you're not feeding your mitochondria, which is the cellular energy um of of your body. It's what keeps you alive really. So the healthier your food is that you put into your body, the the healthy cells the cellular output that you have. So it's very important to make sure that the foods that you put into your body are healthy, that reduce low-level inflammation, that reduce low-level fat cell inflammation, and, and then, again, the thoughts you think. We used to think that our genes were set in stone, and we now know that our genetic expression... Is we have about 80 to 90 percent control of that genetic expression. And that means that if you're eating junk, you're going to get junk out, okay, in terms of your health. If you're eating healthy foods like, you know, uh, nutrient-dense berries, for example, and healthy fats that are high in omega-3s that reduce inflammation within the fat cell itself, all of these types of foods, spices like turmeric that reduces inflammation in the body, have a market effect upon your weight and uh, the, the mood that you have and the thoughts you think. So it's... Your, your, your fitness is key, and your health is key in terms of healthy aging.
1: I love it. Well, thank you for joining the show, and I appreciate it, Dr. Laurie Shemmick. Well,
0: thank you for having me. All
1: right, you'll probably like this, Dr. Laurie. Actress Barbara Hershey from Beaches said. I'm not afraid of aging, but more afraid of what people's reaction to my aging. (laughs) So while you ponder that, listeners, here's another one, uh, another song from our December's Diva Inspiration, Mariah Carey, performing a popular Christmas carol composed in 1818 in the small town of Austria. Divies Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Uh, Make sure to join us this Thursday, December 17th, for our popular Diva Betic Club meeting at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital in Philadelphia. Uh, you can call one eight hundred Jeff now to register. It's totally free, and I'll be there. Hey, that's a good something to look forward to. Uh, we're back talking about diabetes and aging, and it's time to meet my next guest. She's a board certified obstetrician and a gynecologist practicing in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I'm so glad to have her back on the show. Please welcome Dr. Andrea Chisholm. Hi, Dr. Andrea. Hey, Matt. <laughs> You know, there's been research on you over the last month and a half that we haven't talked, and um, you're considered an expert in menstrual disorders.
3: This is correct.
1: And the big question is, uh, how do women's menstrual cycles change as they age?
3: Uh, so the menstrual cycle, um, we actually are talking about using it as a vital sign um, in, in adolescence, and I, and I think that's something that we can carry through um, through a woman's reproductive life. Um, but the menstrual cycle is oftentimes one of the first signs of uh, entering into um, that sort of dread menopausal transition that women are, are, most women are so concerned about. Um, and that, that starts to manifest itself often by irregular periods. Um, periods, a typical normal transition is a lighter, less frequent period. Um, but the majority of women, and often women will present with um, heavier, uh, more frequent bleeding, and, and that's the type of bleeding that needs to be, needs to be investigated in, that, in the perimenopausal time.
1: What is the age when that might start happening?
3: Yeah, so the average age of menopause in women is about age 52, Any time after age 40 is fair game, and that can be a variable based on on genetics uh, is one one major factor for that. But the symptoms of, and then the symptoms of this perimenopausal transition, which there's other symptoms besides the irregular bleeding, um, tends to happen, you know, up to seven years, up to seven years prior to uh, the actual onset of menopause. So really... I think a lot of what people complain about with the symptoms of menopause is actually really perimenopause because that's the time where, where women are starting to really feel changes in their body, um, and you need to go a whole full year without a period before we actually diagnose menopause. So some of the most, most, most tumultuous times uh, of symptoms happens uh, you actually in those years before you become quote-unquote menopausal.
1: And what kind of treatments can they get during that year?
3: Um, well, so I mean, we 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 definitely um, uh, there there are definitely treatments for menopausal symptoms. I think probably uh, the, the the most um, difficult uh, menopausal symptom or perimenopausal symptom that, that women uh, suffer from uh, is uh, vasomotor or vasomotor symptoms, or what are otherwise known as night sweats um, or uh, hot flashes. Um, the night sweats typically typically tend to occur uh before actually daytime hot flashes come on and that's in women who are perimenopausal tends to happen uh more significantly the few days before their period starts so they'll start to to wake up and and have um uh sweating at night uh that um does then in turn interrupt your sleep um which is another big problem of women in the perimenopausal time uh, there are different different horm- hormonal treatments, non-hormonal treatments, um, a lot more than probably have time to go into right now. But they're definitely, if you're having uh, problematic symptoms that are, you know, becoming quite bothersome and interrupted, interruptive of your life, you definitely should speak with your um, with your physician.
1: And it sounds like it would be a time that would be difficult to manage your diabetes through because. Um, ah,
3: it's a very I difficult see- time.
1: I could see some of those symptoms being similar to having high or low blood sugars, and I could yes. see the lack of sleep and the night sweats and everything just kind of confusing um the whole idea of a self care routine how have some of your patients dealt with it yeah
3: yeah it's a, it's a it's a very difficult crossroads um, you know the first thing that I want to talk about is just separate out real quickly our, our type 1 diabetics um, uh, for those women uh, actually uh, with the autoimmune basis of their their diabetes menopause is actually uh, commonly can come can come a bit can come a bit earlier for them um, in type two diabetics or women at risk of becoming uh, diabetic uh the menopausal crossroads is is very is, is very very difficult um, for women who have a diabetes like you mentioned, you know that the hot flashes um, the lack of the lack of sleep Uh, can in turn lead to weight gain, which can in turn lead to difficulty managing um, uh, blood sugar. Also, the hormonal changes that are happening um, in a lot of women because of the complex interactions between female hormones and insulin and your blood sugar, you will see, you can definitely see some um, difficulty in managing sugar, uh, blood sugars around that time. Um, And then, Often, what happens with that weight gain can sort of tip over women who may be pre-diabetic, um, and that, uh, that 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 it, that's uh, also you know problematic. Diet and exercise. I mean, it's a universal mantra that we should all follow. I mean, echoing what Dr. Shemick said, um, there's a, a tremendous uh, essential um, benefit in that, and in and, and will for sure um you know help manage uh, a lot of the a lot of the uh difficulties um with menopause symptoms in particular and then definitely uh those that could make uh, your di- your uh diabetes worse
1: well, you know, we always talk about creating a healthcare entourage, being a diva, having your own entourage, and that would have your gynecologist and your endocrinologist on that team if you're living with type 1 specifically. Yeah. I'm wondering, like, what's the communication between you and the endo for uh, any given patient? Are you talking to them when something like this, when they're going through perimenopause? And, you know, is there, how, how does someone navigate that with her, her doctor, since it would really require to me, both doctors understanding what's going on, uh, not only with the diabetes, but also what's going on with her cycle.
3: I mean I think that that would obviously that obviously would depend uh from uh region to region and hospital to hospital and whether you're in actually a diabetic care center if you're managing it between your own uh, private physicians um I think a lot of times the way and we don't get me started on on our healthcare system right now but I think right. a lot of times there's a there is a bit of a disconnect and it ultimately unfortunately ends up uh being the the patient who has to sort of um do that do that navigation um, and, I, and I do think that that probably is a is, is a place where we do we do fall short for a lot of our um, a lot of our patients.
1: All right, and then so just kind of advance it a little bit. So when you get into menopause after yep. you pass perimenopause, and yep. what's really happening to your body? And I want to well, and then I want to specifically talk about hysterectomies because I don't think a lot of people understand what that really is. I know it's one of the most common procedures sure. women have in this country, but I still yep. think there's a lot of confusion around it.
3: Sure, absolutely. So once you get into the menopause, I mean, things do tend to settle in again. I mean, you, you, women will still continue to have some vasomotor, vasomotor symptoms. Um, uh, they can persist for a few years. Uh, it's, it's a time where, you know, if you, uh, another thing that I forgot to mention, which I think is quite important in the perimenopausal time period, for some women um, the disruptions of their hormones then leads to disruptions of their sort of serotonergic system, which is the mood control. So a lot of women will start to feel increased anxiety, depression, and agitation um in that perimenopausal period which can really, really um derail derail women and, and that's something that's really important to, to, to seek help for. Those things sort of settle down a bit. You kind of reset to a to an a, a new a, a new place um uh, once you're menopausal. Um Changes that you can expect in your body. A lot of them are 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 not are not symptomatic. I mean, the major symptom. I mean, bone loss um, uh, is is a silent thing that happens in the menopausal transition. The changes with with our with our skin. Um, the skin becomes drier. You know, does have more of a tendency to wrinkle in the menopausal the menopausal period. Uh, the major the major unquiet, not spoken about um, often symptom that happens is uh is is is, va- is vaginal you're you're um uh, vaginal atrophy so what we call urogenital atrophy so atrophy of the of the um the vagina and um the 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 urinary symptom, urinary system so that can the external urinary uh, not external but the um the 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 lower uh, urinary tract so that can lead to an increase in um uh urge 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 problems with your bladder, like overactive bladder can lead to um, loss of urine, uh, which we call stress urinary incontinence. It can lead to um, significant vaginal dryness, which is irritating, but then also uh, lead to um, significant uh, pain with intercourse. This is a this is an area where you know a topical or systemic hormone replacement therapy may come into play. I mean that definitely is something that is uh, has been controversial is swinging back in favor of uh, of a very um, a tailored uh, management for each individual woman. Um, and I think that again that's something that's very important to speak to uh, with your gynecologist. Now in terms of hysterectomy right. um hysterectomy is uh basically is removing your uterus, and there are many different ways in which to do it and there is many different variations the biggest the biggest um confusion that that I find women have is that uh when we talk about total hysterectomies uh, a lot of women me think that means that their ovaries are also are also removed, and that and that's generally not the case uh, for the majority of the time when hysterectomies are performed for abnormal bleeding or uterine fibroids, which is the most common indication um we usually are just removing the uterus, sometimes even leaving the cervix, but a lot of times removing the the uterus and the cervix together, and that is what we call a total hysterectomy, and that can be done ap- Uh, abdominally open that can be done laparoscopically that can be done vaginally depending on your the size of your uterus and your own personal medical history
1: and those choices in surgery have changed over the last 20 years, right? I mean, that's not your, sa- your grandmother's hysterectomy or your mother's hysterectomy. There's more options available today, is that Absolutely. correct? Absolutely, and
3: there's more options available even before you move to hysterectomy. And when I say, you know, 30 years ago, anybody who presented with um, abnormal bleeding got a hysterectomy. Now there are many different things we can do to manage that. We can use a hormone-containing IUD. We can use low-dose birth control pills. We can, we can do a, something called an endometrial bleeding where we cauterize the inside of the uterus, um, many different things before we actually take the uterus itself out. The and ovaries, when you take it
1: out, I think the big myth is do, they still, can you, do you still go through menopause if you've had a hysterectomy?
3: Absolutely. Well, you, you do go through menopause, absolutely. But that vital sign that we talked about, which is your menstrual period, is no longer there to guide you. So you're diagnosed more based on symptoms. Because you're, it's not you're. You, we don't watch. We can't, we can't diagnose, diagnose you based on the absence of your menstrual period because you don't have a menstrual period any longer.
1: Is that good but, or bad? Um. Sounds
3: a little no.
1: scary to me. Not
3: having then your, menstrual having your period. I'm
1: not being diagnosed based on my period. I'm just being diagnosed on some of my symptoms.
3: Well, you'd be, but that, and it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not actually truly. It's, it's not. It, there wouldn't, there shouldn't be anything to be scared about with that because okay. I, you know, you sort of will. You'll. There's no reason to really. Uh, there's no reason reason to really know that you're going through menopause unless you're having unless you're having unless you're having symptoms. And if the, if you're someone who needs to have uh, have prevention um, uh, for bone or something like that, then your physician will probably will be checking hormone levels just to see where you are in the menopausal transition. I think the most important thing to realize is that you still have your ovaries when you have a hysterectomy unless you specifically have your ovaries taken out, you still have your ovaries. You have a normal progression to menopause because essentially what's happening in menopause, we talk about it in terms of when your period stops, but the reason why your period stops is because your ovaries aren't producing enough hormone any longer. I think that's the thing that's important to remember. So your your uterus is really sort of an innocent bystander to what your body's own hormonal levels are doing. So menopause really actually is the shutting down of your ovaries rather than truly the shutting down of your uterus. Because you could take a 70-year-old woman who is, quote-unquote, postmenopausal and give her hormones in the correct uh, uh, dosage and pattern, and she'll actually start to have a period again. So it's all about the ovary shutting down.
1: Interesting. All right, well, here's the last question. Uh, Janice, not Janice who's on the show, another Janice emailed me. She didn't think I'd be willing to ask you this question uh what is vaginal rejuvenation
3: okay so vaginal vaginal rejuvenation is um highly controversial um it it is it, it it's it's talks it the 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 pretense behind it is that as we as we age as we lose estrogen not only are we losing the sort of and there's never any good words. I stumble on my practice all the time because we talk about atrophy. We talk about drying. We talk about, um, you know, shriveling up tissue. <laughs> and on the opposite side, we talk about plumper tissue, thicker tissues. There's We just don't have any. We really have to come up with some better words to describe what's happening. Um, but we, when, we're, when we're losing estrogen, we're losing this, uh, the, the plumpness of that tissue, but we're also losing the collagen in that tissue. And so, yes, our, the, the vaginal walls are becoming thinner. They're becoming less elastic and and what vaginal reju- rejuvenation does is it sort of dis- it kind of destroys it, or it not destroys but it 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 uh irritates the um vaginal tissues to actually promote this is their claim actually to promote the production of um new tissue and collagen
1: does it, is it are
3: you I I, I, it, you're I, not really yeah. in favor of it <laughs> it's i i still need to be i still need to be convinced
1: Okay, well, that's fair enough. Topical I, I estrogen, Janice, I hope you got your answer out there. Topical,
3: you, to, topical estrogen, as long as it's not contraindicated for you for some reason, like significant personal history of breast cancer, we, vaginal estrogen would just work. Topical estrogen almost works just as well.
1: Okay, great. Hey, Dr. Andrew, before you go, I just have to say a big thank you for being a part of the program all year long and helping me take on this topic. I think you're so friendly so easy to talk to, and you made it really easy for a guy who doesn't, who's never been to the gynecologist, to feel comfortable in your office, and and that really means a lot to me that you would help me educate my listeners like this, and I do hope you'll be back next year because you were so great this and wonderful Oh, I would this love year. to,
3: Max, and and thank you very much. I'm I'm really enjoying my time with your um with your audience and with you.
1: Great. Well, Mark Have Twain said, "Age is an issue of mind over matter. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter." Our next Christmas classic, performed by Mariah Carey, features words composed by English hymn writer Isaac Watts. Here's Joy to the World. Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Dino and that was another Christmas classic by Mariah Carey, thanks to Sony Music. Tonight we're talking about Fifty Shades of Grey, diabetes and aging. You know, were you under the impression that the characters of the Golden Girls were in their were over 65 when that show premiered? Well, actually, those actresses ranged in ages, starting as young as their early 50s. I guess back in the 1980s, it was considered a novelty for women over 40 to be dating and sexy like Blanche. But, hey, today we're bringing sexy back. And here to help me do that is my next guest. She's a registered dietitian, motivational speaker, Marriage counselor, 2008 2009, AADE Diabetes Educator of the Year, and the author of, yes, one of my favorite books. I always recommend this book. It was in our newsletter this month The Secrets of Living and Loving with Diabetes. Please welcome Janice Rosler. Hi, Janice. Hey, Matt.
2: How are you?
1: I'm good. Thrilled to have you back on the show. Uh, always talking about Glad my su- my favorite subject, getting right into the bedroom when it comes to <laughs> diabetes and getting older. Yep, yep, yep.
4: Yep, definitely. And you, definitely. we should tell
1: everyone. I think I said it. You're a marriage counselor, so you've counseled, I would assume, a lot of uh, couples with either one or both spouses living with diabetes.
4: Oh yeah, definitely. I'm a marriage and family therapist, so I'm a plus a, di- a certified diabetes educator. So it's an interesting combination. But yes, I deal. So what is one of the biggest
1: co- challenges you've seen with couples dealing with diabetes and and um, intimacy?
4: Communication. That really is the toughest thing because as if it's the woman who has diabetes, she may have certain issues that are. Uh, making it harder for her to uh, participate physically, and she's unsure of how to explain that to her partner. Um, For instance, women who have diabetes may take longer to uh, get turned on, to respond to sexual stimulation, to lubricate. So they may need more time. They may need more romance. They may need more excitement and more connection and to ask that of a partner is sometimes uncomfortable if you don't have the words and if you don't have that type of communication where you can um talk about those things also uh you a, a woman may want to be touched in a different way one thing that um one one statistic I can give you is uh, only 17% of women in their 70s or 80s feel that intercourse is necessary for good sex. In other words, as we age, uh, many women, are really content with the cuddling and the the mutual stimulation and the whole intercourse piece, especially if she's feeling some discomfort, may not be as important. And to be able to communicate that her partner can be a challenge if she doesn't have the words or the relationship.
1: Is part of that also like making your needs a priority too, like not just being able to talk about, uh what you what would please you sexually but just having your partner realize like you have you know that maybe it's a diff- you need a game changer that your needs are different because sometimes when we do our outreach at diabetic one of our big things is talking about making yourself a priority in your life especially for women
4: without a doubt without a doubt so many women uh, put themselves on the list first come the kids then comes the spouse or the partner and now as we age, sometimes you have older parents, uh you have still have some work issues, you're exhausted and so many women i who i see just don't have very much me time and are not nurturing themselves. And so a lot of their intimacy is not about making sure that they're fulfilled it's about taking care of their partner and getting it over with and moving on and going to bed. And I think Well, that's like just it, so right? Much-
1: getting it over with. So, I'm curious like do, how do men respond to that um when you counsel those couples and you tell them you know you talk about the woman having needs and that potentially she might be able she might enjoy not having intercourse more than she would enjoy having intercourse. Do you find that they uh how do men respond? Are they in favor of doing that do they do they do it or do they kind of ignore that comment and just like you said get it over with?
4: Well, it depends on the, it depends on the man, of course. Each person's different. Each uh, each man has a different sensitivity level and awareness. But it's really all about discussing what what is intimacy about. It's about communication, and really, at this point in well, at every point in a person's life, it should be about fun. And that's really what I like to work with is finding ways to reconnect and putting the joy, the fun, the playfulness back into the bedroom. Um, sex games, dressing up, um, just the whole thing about laughing. And, you know, one thing about diabetes, when that enters the bedroom, it takes a lot of the joy out of it, especially if you're concerned about about maybe having a low blood sugar, going low, losing your energy level, do I need a snack, what's going on, what's the timing it can really be a third person in that bedroom and kind of uh, ruin the mood. And returning sex to being playful and fun, hopefully the way it was initially, that's a big part of it. Now, the thing with men, uh, one thing that's really interesting is a lot of men find that they don't need to have an erection to enjoy orgasm. And uh, for a male, as he ages, many times his erection becomes softer it's less it it isn't lasting as long he may have some right. issues if he has diabetes he may have issues as well and seek seek out different options and men have a lot of wonderful options if they do want to uh, be able to sustain an erection but
1: well they can take a lot of over the counter pills too right
4: well but that well i know we're not focusing on men in this you know yeah but pet, i mean but women
1: have to react to that so you know, Well, he's popping.
4: men men with diabetes, many men with diabetes do not respond to pills. And that's uh, a bit of a piece of information a lot of men don't know because if they take the pills that are on the market and they aren't able to um, get an erection, they often think that there's something wrong with them and they give up hope. But about half of men who have diabetes will not respond positively to those pills or will respond initially and then later not not be able to respond. So they have to go on to something else that goes up to um, even implants. And I know men who've had penile implants have, oh, my gosh, they, there was one there was one group of men and this one of the participants had gotten a penile implant, and he quickly he came to the session, dragged everyone into the bathroom to show it off because it's extremely natural-looking, and his partner didn't even know. And it, it uh, performs well and responds, and you can have a very healthy and uh, normal and natural orgasm with it. So it all depends what the couple wants, what the man wants, what the woman wants. But it's a time to be giving and a time to be selfish, and it's a time to communicate all of those things
1: and it sounds like you're saying like the erection isn't even really necessary if both men and women can get a lot of pleasure without it. It's kind of funny that society puts so much pressure on that or focus on that when what you're saying what you said earlier with that statistic is a lot of women don't really need intercourse
4: well i you know it's funny a lot of times i'll tell um I'll tell couples. Think about how 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 courting and sex was done in the fifties when you didn't necessarily have reliable birth control right. there was a lot of messing around going on in cars and uh that did not include intercourse there's there's oral oral sex there's um there's just a whole lot of different options of touching and caressing and massage and oils and you name it and for, for many couples, intercourse is a real important piece, and for men, for many men, it's an important piece to be able to to have intercourse. But the nice thing to know is that there's so many options, and that's what intimacy should be about is the, the fun and the variety. And, uh, you know, one nice thing is um, – uh, 75% of uh, of couples who are still sexually active late in their years say that their lovemaking has improved. And I always like to quote my 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 I guess my role model. I guess Dr. Ruth, and she says many people discover they have some of the best sex of their lives after 50, 60, and even 70. So that's Dr.
1: Ruth for you. That's something to look for too. I love that. Um, I have a hot button question. It's all over the internet. People are weighing in about separate beds and what does separate beds mean to a marriage? If you go and have either separate beds or separate bedrooms, Wendy Williams says it's the death of a relationship. Allegedly, I don't have the exact quote, but she came out (laughs) in strong opposition. Janice, what do you think about that? If, if we were to go to separate bedrooms, is that healthy for our marriage or unhealthy?
4: It all depends why you have the separate bedrooms. I don't agree that it's unhealthy unless the, the, the reason that you got to that point is not communicating any longer and you're really disconnecting. But if it's because one of you snores terribly and the other can't get a good night's sleep, then separate bedrooms or separate beds could really help. Because you get a great night's sleep and you can feel energized and feel good, it can you can also play up the mystery. We're dating again, and he has to come into your room and romance you, and you have to and you can tiptoe into his room overnight. There's a lot of playfulness that can happen if bedrooms is something that you choose, and people have. Different reasons for choosing these things and and separate beds also same thing um you may want a soft bed, a soft mattress, and he may want a hard mattress and as we age, we like to be a little bit more selfish about our own personal needs that you know we want a good night's sleep we certainly you know many of us i well i'm not call myself elderly i'm i'm fifty seven so <laughs> Not, but I like wearing sensible shoes more than wearing heels, and i don 't care anymore, so um <laughs> I want a good night 's sleep, so um you know, just being able to be your best and if sleeping separately is part of being your best, so someone 's not stealing your your covers and you 're not cold at night and you can get a good night 's sleep i listen go you can always go off and spend the weekend at a hotel, you can always do a lot of playful things if. You care about investing in your relationship. So where you sleep is totally up to you, depending on how you view it.
1: I love it. All right, final question. Uh, We always ask, like, diva, what's in your bag? But I thought it would be fun to ask you, like, what you would like to see a woman, we'll call her the diva, who's living with diabetes, have in her nightstand. What are some of the top things you'd like to have in the nightstand?
4: Oh, well, of course, of course. loop and a vibrator, thank you very much.
1: Okay. Absolutely.
4: Absolutely, absolutely. And and, and you, she not only should she use it by herself, they should use it as partners in fun and play.
1: Okay, then you want her to have her meter, and uh, what do you like? Of the and, and
4: that, her, oh, that I guess that goes without saying. Snacks, her meter. Do you like? Um, do you recommend
1: a juice box?
4: Uh, the reason I recommend a juice box is because it doesn't require refrigeration, so you can just keep it in the nightstand. And they now come very small. You can get the real tiny juice boxes for elementary kids. You know, it doesn't have to be a huge one. Uh, So I think just the fact that there's no refrigeration, if you keep fruit, that can go bad, even though you could put raisins, you know, and certainly glucose tablets. Um, But, uh, you know, certainly she has to keep her diabetes stuff. But I think there should be a lot of fun stuff in there also. Or the handcuffs
1: and all that other stuff next to it, too, right?
4: Uh, You know, hey, we're talking about Fifty Shades, right? Yeah. So everything. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Well,
1: thank you for being on the show. And um, we blogged about your book, The Secrets to Living and Loving with Diabetes. And then you also have the Sex and Diabetes, his and her book out as well, which I think are both great books for people to check out on Amazon.
4: Thank you. Thanks Thank Happy you. All right. That.
1: Eleanor Roosevelt said, she didn't say anything about Fifty Shades of Grey People, but she did say, beautiful, <laughs> beautiful when your y- young people are accidents of ne- nature, but beautiful old people are works of art. Here's another Christmas classic from Mariah Carey before we meet my final guest of the evening. I'm so excited to have her on the show. I can't wait to introduce
2: you to the humorist as well as you better watch out. you. Better
1: Diabetes late night, and I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick. I'm probably the only radio host to use Eleanor Roosevelt and Fifty Shades of Grey in the same sentence. So hey, that's a treat for you tonight. Uh, it's time to meet my final guest. <laughs> She's a
2: <laughs> registered nurse,
1: certified diabetes educator, yoga instructor, and the author of Sweet, my, the Sweet Blessing: My Adventures in Diabetes. Please welcome back to the show, Trisha Peretti. Hi, Trisha.
5: Hi, Max. <laughs> Thanks
1: for being on the show. Uh, you've been I listening have to, in to you, all Max the conversations Hester. with all the ladies tonight. <laughs> oh, what, what did you think of the show? What are your comments?
5: Okay, well, first of all, Janice, I'm glad I'm at the end, and this is almost over because I either need a cold shower or I have to go find my husband because that was hot. Yes. Um, and and I have to say, like, everybody kind of identified by age. Janice said she was 57. Dr. Laura said she was 58. I didn't get an age from Dr. Andrea, so unless Dr. Andrea is older, I'm weighing in at 59. Okay. Not my blood sugar, people. My age, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and 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 everything that I heard tonight, I can bring full circle by saying whether it's diabetes, whether it's uh, menopause, whether it's aging, every single one of these things that can be perceived as horrible, terrible challenging. If you change all that to an attitude of gratitude, you change your whole perception. And, you know, like yeah, I have diabetes, but thank God I have insulin. Yeah, yeah, I ha yeah, menopause has happened. And yep, osteoporosis is my latest disease. But um I'm gonna go get some sort of sub Q injection and thank God for that. And and yeah, um I'm in my last week of my fifties. But I am so thankful for every minute of my life. So I think what Dr. Laurie Laurie said in the very beginning was that it's about your purpose and it's about your enthusiasm. And and I think if you keep that, you know, you can never grow old. I mean, it's just, you know, it's it's just. I think the the most important thing I heard tonight. And I would add laughter, so enthusiasm and laughter. And after Janice, I'm going to add sex. Um, That's right. You know, yeah, yeah. We need all of that, and and we need to love ourselves. Um, you know, in my book, I re- revealed that when I was 37, I was in a very bad car accident, and really, my face was broken. And I'm not going to go into the details, but. It was devastating, and I couldn't cover it with a sleeve or a sock or a pant leg or a hat. It was my face that was broken, my eye and my cheekbone and my whole face. And my wonderful husband covered every mirror in that house and and said, you are not your face. So at a very, I think, young age, because I have kids that are older than 37, 37, I learned that I am not my face so aging to me like the attractiveness that everybody's so scared of like I already went through that cuz I'm not my face and every day I go to yoga and I agree with what everybody said like you you just have to be mindful love yourself and you, you know you got to exercise and, and eat well you just do i mean and then and then you make it to 60 and be happy <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. Well you were you were diagnosed with type one back in the early nineteen nineties, so roughly about twenty three years ago. I'm just curious, yes. Trisha, do you think um it would be easier or harder to manage your diabetes if you were diagnosed at the age you are today?
5: Well, you know, I think volumes have been written by psychologists of which I am not, about the age at which you are diagnosed is, is gigantic in the initial shock and and in the ability to accept it. Um, But over time, I really believe, Max, in my heart of hearts, that uh, no matter your age and no matter your size and no matter your gender and no matter
2: uh,
5: your ethnicity, it comes down to your belief and your faith that, you know what, everything's going to be all right. And, And so many people in the world of diabetes think I'm so Pollyanna and like a traitor because I don't hate it. And I refuse because it's mine and I can't give it back. I cannot reverse it. I can't do anything but say thank you for insulin. Thank you for my pump. Thank you for my Dexcom. Thank you for my ability in 2015, almost 16, to honestly make it very secondary to my life. Um, I don't know if you saw. Was there a transitional
1: moment? I'm sorry?
5: I was going to say that, you know, I wish that I had heard all your speakers earlier because I, I'm going to turn 60. And, and and I was really, you know, facing this ginormous number. And, and you know, like to prevent the possible depression of this upcoming birthday, I, I booked a trip around the world. I think I should have gotten some counseling with, a, you know, Dr. Laurie. It would have been cheaper. But um it is brought, like, unbelievable excitement and enthusiasm. And I think on this cruise I'm going to be a youngster. So it's about perspective. So, yeah, I'm 60. It is hard, though. I
1: mean, I turned 50 this year. It was very hard. It, it was very hard. 40 was okay. 50 was a little bit hard. And I know what you mean. You know, you just have to kind of like, I mean, honestly, I had a shutdown moment.
5: Well, I, you know, I had it at 30, unbelievably. I got it out of the way real fast. Because at 30, I said, Jesus, I'm going to be 40, 50, I'm going to die someday. I had it all on my 30th birthday, and each birthday has been joy- joyous. My 40th birthday, I became a registered nurse. Yeah, my whole life changed because I decided, you know, to understand my disease, even if it meant going to nursing school for diabetes just, you know, blessed my life in that way. At 50, I turned 50 under the Eiffel Tower, and and I cannot believe that nine years have gone by. So the one thing I would say, regardless of what your number is, and it's no different than diabetes. We're at camp. We sing that old Bob Seger song, you know, I feel like a number. I'm not a number. Well, you know what? It's the same with our age. And it's it's again it's about your purpose and your enthusiasm. Like I have never picked up a guitar. Why is that? I love guitars. I'm gonna learn how to play the guitar when I turn sixty. Like I have plans. I I I I'm excited. I'm excited about the future. And I don't want to be twenty and thirty and forty and going through all those life crises again. So for me personally, it it it's a big number. It's a huge number, but but it reflects how far I've come, and just how lucky and blessed I am. You know, I lost my brother when he was only 47. So every birthday I've had, you know, since that, I, I feel is a gift. I mean, you know. Um,
1: I love it. You said it at C-50. the gratitude is attitude. And, attitude and I just, gratitude. you know,
5: I feel so blessed to be on the show tonight because, uh, you know, I'm telling you, I'm I was, you know, boxy fifty, but up until tonight, I didn't know what to say. Now, after listening to Janice, uh, I'm going with sexy, 60. I might add to You're my doing Santa Claus
1: gray. Next year we'll do 60 Shades of Grey with you on it. We'll We're running shades out of time, there. but you've got to definitely check out Tisha Paretti's book. She's a humorist and author and we love her dearly. Thank you for being on the show. I want to thank all the divas for being on the show tonight. Remember every diva has an entourage and I'm so glad to be part of yours. Let's get happy and stay healthy together. Have a very happy holiday, everybody. You yeah w